Thanks for tuning in. One of the things that makes a show like Outcasting possible is financial support from listeners like you. Please visit us at mfpg.org and click on support to make your tax-deductible contribution. Thanks. The actual act of coming out was the most simple thing in the world because I didn't have to do anything. I had already talked to sort of my guidance counselor and the school staff about that, and I told a few of my friends, and one day I just came into school wearing a dress, and people were like, what's up with that? But thankfully, they didn't actually ask me. They just asked everyone else, and so the word just spread without me really having to do anything. And for the most part, people in my school don't care, which is my ideal option. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. Hi, I'm Dhruv. On this edition of Outcasting, Alex talks with fellow outcaster Amelie about her transitioning process from male to female. They discuss the difficulties of being a young trans person, coming out to her family, the gradual process of beginning her medical transition, and her feelings concerning her present gender expression. This follows our interviews with Dr. John Stever and Dr. Matthew Uransky, a physician and a psychologist who work with trans youth. You can hear that series on our website, outcastingmedia.org. Hi, Amelie. Thanks for being here. Hi, it's nice to be here, Alex. How do you identify? I identify as female. But not trans-female. Can you talk me through the difference between the two and why you chose female instead of trans-female? I don't think of myself as being transgender. I just think of myself as being a woman who maybe wasn't born that way. But it's not necessarily something that I always need to think about. So today we're here to talk about your coming out process and your transitioning. When did you first start questioning your gender and sexuality? That is a complicated question. Stuff was just so spread out throughout my life and just sort of different realizations at different points that I don't have any clear answer. But I think the earliest sort of memory I have of specifically questioning my gender or sexuality would be a time in the shower when I was in fifth grade and for some reason, I just thought if a surgery to change my genitals from that of like male to female existed, I'd do that. But no such surgery exists. And I just decided for myself right then that it didn't exist. And I guess I didn't care that much because I didn't look into it. A lot of stories I've heard of people who are trans who decide to transition, they're realization or their first inklings of not being satisfied with their gender are not so on the nose and so concise. That is very specifically a thought about being trans and wanting to transition. Yes. And then I didn't think about it for like, I'm going to say about three years. Oh, why is that? It just didn't come up in my brain, apparently. I thought that and I was like, yeah, shame no such thing exists. I'm okay now. Like, I'm okay with this. And I just, I guess I just went to bed, went about my life. For many LGBTQ people, discontentment with gender and sexuality often pops up in other places in their lives, like dissatisfaction with family life or 
with depression or difficulties with socialization. Do you have anything similar to that? Yeah, I definitely do. I was and still am somewhat depressed. And honestly, I think that that's sort of for a myriad of reasons, not really just related to gender dysphoria. Specific gender dysphoria, I feel, didn't really start aside from like that one shower thought where I figured out some spoiler from my life and then forgot about it. (laughs) I didn't start feeling specific gender dysphoria until maybe middle school. At that point, I had long hair and I distinctly remember somebody somebody remarking to me that they looked at me and they thought I was a girl and and just thinking to myself, well, I mean, that that wouldn't be too bad. And then again, that was just sort of another moment where this thing popped up and then just disappeared for like a year. Huh. Why, why do you think your, your coming out as being trans was so discontinuous? Why do you think it was specific instances and then it kind of fell back in your mind? I just think that for the most part, I was just sort of thinking about other stuff. And in terms of puberty, I don't know if I'd be considered a late bloomer, but I didn't really start to specifically notice changes until I'd say middle school or so. And even that, I'd say it's kind of hard to notice changes when they happen so gradually. So what do you think was that specific moment that made you start to consider the possibility of transitioning and being trans and identifying as female? I was just sort of talking to my friend and I just said, I have gender identity issues. And it's almost as if just saying that was me realizing it. And very soon after, I went with her and another friend and we just sort of hung out at the park and I wore one of her dresses and it just felt nice. Was that process hard for you? Uh, no. Released a lot of stress? Yeah, I'd say it was like, this is something that had been bothering me for so long, but I also hadn't realized it. It's like if maybe you were like sitting in like a weird, uncomfortable position and then and then you, you got up and then suddenly it's like it feels much better and like, wow, I didn't even realize that was a problem, but I'm so glad it's gone. You mentioned growing out your hair, but that seemed like that was something you had already done yeah. before you had noted your gender dysphoria. Yeah, and I'd say that before I sort of did anything, I'd hang out with with my with my then friend a lot, and when I was there, I'd be able to wear her clothing and stuff, and I just sort of just sort of felt nice. And she and my other friend and who whoever else I had told at the time, I basically just told a few sort of friends. They called me by female pronouns. I don't quite remember when I settled on the name Amelie. I think it was definitely after coming out to my parents. I did not tell my parents immediately, and they kept referring to me by male pronouns. My sibling, I also did not tell them, not because I had apprehensions about them. I honestly didn't think they would. I presumed they would be the most immediately supportive and honestly the most apathetic about it overall, and apathy is kind of the ideal emotion. When it comes to somebody who isn't the person who's like deciding what 
your medical thing is if they're just like, yeah, it's cool. You don't really care. To me, that's the best reaction I get from people just because they're just free to let you be yourself. How was that process of coming out to your parents? The process of coming out to my parents was complicated. At the time, Caitlyn Jenner had recently sort of come out. So that was in everybody's sort of consciousness. And I I gotta say, that was probably one of the most convenient things for me ever because you got to see how everybody in your life would react to this particular thing. What did it tell you about your parents? They honestly didn't care either way. They weren't offended. They were just like, I don't care about this person, which I think is fair. At the time, I didn't really care about that person either. You mentioned that your coming out to your parents was complicated. Why was it so yes. complicated? So I told my dad, and he kind of, not quite freaked out, but his reaction wasn't entirely positive. And I think the reason for that is that I mentioned wanting to sort of medically transition. That can be scary for a parent. Yeah, that it was extremely scary for him. For the longest time, it was. And although he was not inherently opposed to the idea of, like, his child being transgender, he was, at the time, sort of opposed to the medical transition, at least until I was 18. And I distinctly remember the next day, just sort of sitting next to him, just sort of crying. And I don't know if it was, like, noticeable enough for him to notice it, but now that I think about it, of course he noticed it. Maybe it wasn't noticeable enough, but of course he would be paying attention to that. I didn't get the chance to come out to my mom. So your dad told your mom? Yes, my dad told my mom. My parents are divorced, so I was with my dad at the time, and when I came back, she was definitely told before I had the chance to, and she was more immediately supportive than my dad. Honestly, she probably had the exact same apprehensions. She just sort of... She didn't vocalize them. Yes. But what she did say is, like, if you wanted, I would wave a magic wand to make you a woman right now. And she was like, that magic wand doesn't exist. So it can't happen. So we need to take this slowly. And I remember, like, at the time, desperately trying to be like, but the closest thing to that magic wand does exist, which is hormones. And you guys are being very hesitant on letting me sort of begin that. Sometime after. Sometime after. So your parents did eventually let you go through hormonal therapy. Yes, they did. What was that process like of consulting doctors and getting your parents to consider the possibility of going through a medical transition? I first came out to them when I was like 14. And I, I'm 17 now, and I started hormones about a year ago. And I have to say that just the time between me coming out as transgender and me being able to actually start hormones is probably one of the, mo the more frustrating things in my entire life so far. Although, although who knows, maybe, maybe I have even more frustration to look forward to. <laughs> but it's just, it's so difficult to communicate to somebody what the need is. And I've never quite been able to describe gender dysphoria properly. Like, I feel like the closest I've got is something that's just kind of in the background, but it's always there. It's like an uncomfortable pillow that you just have to sit on or a buzzing noise in the back of your head. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's less annoying than others. 
Sometimes you don't notice it at all. Sometimes it's all you can think about. But the point is that it's always there and it never goes away. And to me, hormones were the way out of that. And now that I sit here probably three three or so years after having come out for the first time, I can say hormones were a part of coming out of that. Do you know why your parents eventually changed their mind on um, hormone therapy? My mom just needed time. My dad needed to talk to his friend, Shelly. They were like old friends and they worked in the same industry. Shelly was somebody, they eventually sort of came out as transgender and transitioned. And in the end, nothing I could say could convince my dad. It had to be from Shelly. Basically, what they ultimately needed in the end was just time and I think for my dad, he couldn't admit that it was just sort of time that he needed, but he also sort of had to have like a big reason in the end. And then we looked at a whole bunch of different places, like endocrinologists, and it was a massive pain in the neck to find the place we ultimately settled on, which is Mount Sinai. And I started seeing Dr. Seaver there. Dr. Stever was one of our guests on our trans youth transitioning episodes, and Mm -hmm. he talked a lot about the difficulties of parents and their children first coming for consultations. How was that first meeting with you and your parents and Dr. Stever? It was, um, I was definitely extremely stressed just because at that point it had been definitely around two years or, or maybe a year and a half. I kind of just mentally been like, okay, whatever. It'll happen when it happens, and I can't focus on this all the time. Not that that attitude actually kept me from focusing on it all the time, but I told myself I shouldn't. So it was very stressful, and I'd say that the meeting itself went well. My dad's sort of main concerns were the fact that some of these effects were permanent, and then maybe I'd not want to continue with it, which... You, I'm sure, did not agree with Yeah, I was like, are you kidding me? Permanent? Sign me up. What were some of the things that you and your parents talked about with Dr. Stever in that first consultation? A lot of it had to do with basically just what can we expect? And I asked questions like, when can we expect this? Because I was, I was already on board since day one. I was on board since before day one. One thing I did find interesting is that as... I've sort of gone to more meetings and appointments with him and my parents. I found that I ask less and less questions just because either everything that I have to ask is already covered by Dr. Stever or my parents end up asking one of those questions as well. How long was it after that first consultation that you were able to start hormone therapy? How many more meetings? How long did it take? It took several meetings. I had to get my blood taken a few times or like a shot and I'll forget that I have to be lying down. So I'll just pass out. So I've passed out in that building like like three times, which translated to like a few months. And I was on hormones and I started it. It was so exciting for me, but also it was like the most mundane thing ever. It's like, all right, I guess I'm just going to take this pill, put it in my mouth, drink a drink of water. And then the next day, of course, nothing was different. (laughs) So obviously, you can't 
pinpoint where a change specifically happened, but over time, I've definitely felt better, and I've also looked significantly different. One thing I find interesting is that pretty much since, like, 2015 or something, I have had the exact same height and weight, but I look so completely different. What was the actual hormone therapy you were on? Estradiol. Can you tell me a little bit about that? It's a tiny blue pill, and I gotta say, it looks like looks like nothing at all, but it's magic. Because what it does, for me personally, it just makes life better. It helps that buzzing, like the idea of gender dysphoria being a constant buzzing, it not entirely, but mostly made the buzzing go away. And part of that was its effect on just sort of my mind calming me. A metaphor I've heard is that it's like if you have a car and it requires a special type of gasoline, but you've never used it, and then suddenly you put that gasoline in and suddenly everything just just works and it feels great. How long did it take for you to see results? I started seeing results within six months or so. And did you feel any side effects in mood? Sometimes, sometimes I've heard that hormone therapy can cause changes in um, mental state and also some some physical side effects. Did you experience anything like that? For a while, I was also on a medication that blocked testosterone receptors or something, but that made me need to use the bathroom like constantly, and I already kind of have to use the bathroom constantly. So that is the most noticeable and serious side effect that I have seen. And right now you're still going through hormonal therapy treatment? Yes. And how long has it been? I'd say it's been uh, over a year, maybe a year and a half. Okay. And how long do you plan on continuing your hormonal therapy treatment? Till I die. Really? If there's a point in which I'm supposed to stop, I genuinely don't know about it. I feel like maybe maybe when I'm like when I'm like 90, I won't necessarily need it anymore. Have you considered any form of surgery? Or things like that? For a while, I was considering genital reconstruction surgery, but as I've grown older, I've become more comfortable with that part of myself, and I don't feel the need to do it, which doesn't necessarily mean that I won't, just that it doesn't feel like a need. Maybe part of it has to do with the, uh, the massive price tag and maybe it's not just me being zen, and it's me just uh, justifying to myself. But I'm okay with that, because I'm happy with the way I am right now, with the exception of my voice. In our Trans Youth Transitioning episode, uh, Dr. Stever mentioned that hormone therapy will not affect your tone of voice, mm-hmm. largely. Have you gone through speech therapy? No, no? I have not. And it is not for a specific reason. I would like to do it, but it took so long to get around to hormones. And I feel like I've sort of settled on that. But I shouldn't, because what I want is not to sound like this. What do you think is your end goal for your medical transition? Where would you like to be in the absolute best scenario? The only problem that I feel I really have is my voice. And that is something which I wish to change. And 
I don't know to what degree it can be. I've tried in the past to to sort of do stuff on my own, and I would just get too upset, and I couldn't do it. And so my plan is to work with a voice coach and to just get it done. I'd like to do that before I go to college. I'm definitely running out of time. I'm thinking of maybe taking a gap year, not specifically to do that, but that would be one of the things I would be doing. Other than that, I'm satisfied with how I am right now, and I'm also okay with how I was. And that's something that I think it's taken me a long time to reach, because I remember when I first came out, I just wanted to erase any any indication that I was ever not trans and sort of transitioning. But I can't do that, because that's who I was for the better part of my life, and it's a part of me. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, produced by Media for the Public Good in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. On this edition, Alex is talking with Amelie, a fellow outcaster, about the difficulties of being a young trans person, coming out to her family, the gradual process of beginning her medical transition, and her feelings concerning her present gender expression. You've mentioned that you're out to everyone in your social life. What was it like to come out to everyone at your school? The actual act of coming out was the most simple thing in the world because I didn't have to do anything. I had already talked to sort of my guidance counselor and the school staff about that, and I told a few of my friends, and one day I just came into school wearing a dress, and people were like, what's up with that? But thankfully, they didn't actually ask me. They just asked everyone else. And so the word just spread without me really having to do anything. And for the most part, people in my school don't care, which is my ideal option. I came out way before I started hormones. Definitely at the beginning when I was using the women's bathroom, I could tell that people were uncomfortable One aspect of the bathroom issue that is not talked about is that people cannot control what makes them uncomfortable. And maybe they're uncomfortable for the wrong reasons, but I still don't necessarily think that anybody deserves to feel uncomfortable, especially in a bathroom, which is a sort of very... Intimate. Intimate, I guess. Uh, An intimate place. One habit I've sort of picked up from that is just... Do not make my presence known in the bathroom if there are people in there. When I am sort of done, I just wait for them to leave and then get on my way. And I've mostly broken out of that recently, but it still kind of happens. But also, I think anxiety about using the bathroom in school is just kind of a thing that cis people also have. So, Yeah, it's true. Have you had to help your peers and people around you who might not have been understanding about trans people? Have you had to re-educate them and set them straight a little bit? That's another convenient thing in that it was done for me. A friend of mine came out as transgender about a year before I did, and they were, for the most part, the first transgender person in that grade. So basically that that grade personally knew and they're also a very sort of outspoken person when it comes to transgender and LGBT rights and issues, as well as like those of people of color and all that. So they made sure that everybody knew the status quo and whether or not 
the people in the school agreed with it, they at least sort of knew what was going on. So I can thank my friend for taking the plunge first and doing it and sort of taking the heat that would result from being the first. Have you had instances where people have not respected your pronouns? Yes, but it has exclusively been from people who I already had a sort of rocky relationship with. So I don't know if that's transphobia so much as it's just them not just being mean. But since I already had a not great relationship with them, I don't really care what they have to say. What is one thing that you think your school or the people around you could do better for you as a trans person and also for other trans people? The administration, I feel, doesn't quite have programs in place yet to actually sort of make things more viable for trans students. So while when trans students come around, they are supportive towards that person, it's always them making sort of special accommodations instead of those accommodations already existing and being something that is planned for. What kind of things does this take shape of? Um, like bathrooms? Or... Yeah, bathrooms. My previously mentioned friend who is non-binary for the longest time avoided the male and female bathrooms. And a few times I'd asked where they went to use the bathroom, and they just completely avoided the question, which made me suspect that they did not at all, which must be very uncomfortable for them. And now I believe my school is marking one or two bathrooms as being gender neutral, which is good. Personally, I think not even for a transgender thing, but just for convenience sake, all bathrooms should just be gender neutral. And on a wider scale, what do you wish could be done differently in the LGBTQ community to help accommodate trans people? I feel like the gay, bisexual side of the LGBT community and the trans side are kind of disconnected because they have some obvious issues in common, such as bigotry. But what a trans person needs is for people to understand this concept of like gender dysphoria, which is a, a weird, vague, and confusing concept. Uh, whereas with gay people, the concept of being gay is not inherently confusing. To play devil's advocate, when I was younger, the concept of me being gay was very confusing. But I think you mean not in the same way. Yes. Yeah, yeah I think that's, that's, uh, that's a better way of putting it, is that they're both confusing but not necessarily in the same way because being gay is taking a concept which is already widely accepted in society, which is the idea of a relationship or love or whatever, and just changing the people that are involved with it. While being transgender is sort of introducing a new concept that isn't so widely accepted with society, which is the idea of gender and sex not being the same thing. Do you have any advice for other trans teens or their parents about the coming out process and the transitioning process? My advice is that the time between when you come out and you actually get to start hormones is going to be infuriating. You are going to hate it, but it is worth it. Amelie is a fellow outcaster. Thanks so much for sharing your story. No problem. That's it for this edition of Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program. 
where you don't have to be queer to be here. This program has been produced by the Outcasting team, including youth participants Alex, Andrew, Dante, Lucas, Amelie, and me, Dhruv. Our assistant producer is Josh Valley, and our executive producer is Mark Sophus. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York. More information about Outcasting is available at outcastingmedia.org. You'll find information about the show, listen links for all Outcasting episodes, and the podcast link. Outcasting is also on social media. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home or school or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project hotline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Call them if you have a problem. Seriously, don't be scared. They even have an online chat that you can use if you don't want to talk on the phone. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. All right, go get a piece of paper. I'll say it one more time. 866-488-7386 or online at thetrevorproject.org. You can also find a link on our site, outcastingmedia.org, under Outcasting LGBTQ Resources. I'm Drew. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make a tax-deductible gift to Media for the Public Good. We can't do programs like this without your support. Visit mfpg.org and click on Support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.